You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211, Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us on the show again today. Bit of an old change coming in the weather, isn't it? I feel it in me water. I'll feel it this evening when I'm out walking for sure. Anyway, look, had me a great run the last while. It's only a blip, let's say, you know, for a few days and then hopefully we'll get back to uh, a little bit of nice stuff. And, you know, that's March for you. You know, it's just uh, up and down, in and out. It can be really cold at one moment and nice the next. We know what to expect in the month of March and even into early April, mid-April, as well for sure anyways that's your uh, brief weather forecast at the top of the show today I love getting posts you know that I've often said it to you I love getting uh, letters postcards you name it and today uh, quite a few dropped in here's a lovely one just come to me it says hi Jerry. many thanks for keeping us entertained with your programme at this time hopefully it will pass soon keep up the good work stay safe and well that comes in from Breda and her dogs and cats in Kells and it's a lovely card with a doggy and butterflies and everything on the front of it. Brady, it's going to pride a place in my wall collection of cards. Uh, last week we spoke to Alex Jefferson from Propeller Prints. Oh, she was lovely. And she does these beautiful cards, I was telling you. You should check them out. Propeller Prints is the name. And she sent me a lovely card herself this morning with reasons to be cheerful. And there's bees and flowers on the front of it everywhere. And she just said, Jerry, thank you so much for the chat on the show. I really enjoyed it and appreciate your support. And lovely to get the card from you, Alex, in the post again today. And here's another beauty came in. God, it's a great day for posts for me. Lovely daffodils on the front of it. And it says, Hi, Jerry. Happy Easter to all at LMFM. I listen every day and love all the programmes. I'm enclosing €50 for that boy. The family have gone through so much and we're all praying for them. And that comes in from Anne today. Anne. It's beautiful, beautiful card, lovely gesture and your money, your money is already with Slav because Nadia, I was just speaking to her about an hour ago and the uh, donations that have come in and there have been a lot of cash donations, I've passed them on to Nadia so they're on the way to be lodged in the bank as we speak and again I just remind you, 40 days and nights for Slav, I've been walking for 40 days, 40 minutes at least and doing an average of 5 kilometres every day. And I've given the hooch, the hee-ho for the Lenten season. And I've only six days to go because the 40 days and nights ends on Sunday evening next. So I've walked 34. I've only six more left. And it's with a 
you to raising the profile, the awareness for this young man, Slav Vavro. He's 16 now. He's battling cancer since he was 13. And he's a great fella. He really is. And his mam and family are wonderful, wonderful people. But as you can imagine, after three years, two major operations abroad, the expense of an oxygen chamber at the house, it costs 65000 and he uses it every day. You can only imagine uh, the uh, money involved in keeping everything going and it's not been easy and I just thought at this time I'm going to do something for somebody and I don't know where it came from but it came to my mind and I'm so privileged to have been a little part of helping that family and Slav in particular at this time and I thank you from my heart again for all of the donations it's just been overwhelming it really has and if you'd care to donate just reminding you again it's gofundme.com and you search there for oxygen for Slav gofundme.com oxygen for Slav if you want to make a wee donation every euro is appreciated I can promise you now what's coming up on today's show let me tell you that a little later You know, the tourism industry, it's on its ass. It really is in this country. We have beautiful places here in the North East. One of them is Carlingford in North Louth. And Carlingford uh, want to talk to us today and tell us what they've got and why you should visit Carlingford when you can. We're talking about that after three in the show. Christy Moore, he's my artist of the week. We'll hear more about Christy's life story and a wonderful song I have for you for today. Sean Collins, he joins us each month to reflect on 1921, 100 years on. It was a fractious time in the country. And I'm going to ask Sean about this whole question of a border pole and Irish unity today. It got a big airing on RTE with Claire Byrne last night. We'll see what Sean has to say Deirdre Hines is with us. Her insomnia, it was just, oh, it was just debilitating, life-destroying. She solved it. She sorted out her insomnia. So if you can't sleep, she may be able to help you too. And if you want to get in touch with us on the show, don't forget the numbers. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. And now 086-1800-658. Or you can call in on 1850-715-958. Now we begin again this Tuesday with a man I'm privileged to call my regular on the show now. He is Professor Paul Moyne, Head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Minute University. Paul, good afternoon again. Good afternoon, Jerry. Paul, in case you, you, you probably didn't hear me yesterday, but I was just saying to the listeners at the end of the show, the day that Paul Moyne is not with me on a Tuesday, well, happy days. It's all happy over, day. Paul. It'll be a good time. Now, Paul, Louise said to me, oh, Jesus, don't be saying that, Jerry. We won't have him tomorrow. No, I know you're so good to us and I want to thank you for it again. Paul, listen to me here again today and I'd say this to you. The rise in the numbers... It was static and now it's rising again. Paul, what's happening? What can we do? Yeah, it's certainly tough, Jerry. The, the, so last week when we spoke, you know, the numbers are certainly stagnated and if anything, they're probably edging up a little bit. I think week on week from last week, if you look at the seven-day cumulative number, I think they've been up by around 10%. Um, I think it's probably a combination of, of factors. I think, first of all, I, I think the comparisons we make are relative to how well we did and how low we got uh, last summer. And I think there's a few different um, parameters there at play that means that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, it's a big challenge to get down to those numbers again. First of all, in terms of the time of year, I think when we get to summertime, that's going to help us, uh, certainly. But also in terms of the variant, of this, this variant, which accounts for over 90% of cases now, this variant that originated in the UK, clearly transmits better. Um, so I think that explains in terms of why it's uh, so difficult and then in terms of why it's increasing and 
it's, it's difficult to know. Uh, I think we may have achieved as much as we can with the lockdown because after all, one of the things the lockdown does is it tends to keep people inside and most of the transmission, I think over 50% of the transmission now is taking place within households. And because of the lockdown, we're probably spending, plus the time of year as well, we're spending more time inside. So I, I would certainly like to see for April being more proactive about encouraging more outdoor activity and permitting more outdoor activity. So rather than sort of looking upon this as relieving restrictions, I think it would be actually a bit very beneficial thing to do in terms of proactively trying to get people outside because we know now that the risk of getting infection and viral transmission outside is greatly, greatly reduced relative to indoors. So I think we should proactively really spread and promote outdoor activity. And even if that's a situation where people can begin to interact with each other, albeit with social distancing, but also sports and especially sports for children, I think we should really be proactively driving this now. Yesterday, Dr. Harry Barry was with me and we were talking about the mental health side and the challenges that people have faced in this last year. And Harry, just interestingly, Paul, and what uh, building on what you say there, said this 5K thing is restrictive as well. It's keeping people, you know, close uh, together also, even though it may be outdoors. He was for extending uh, the 5K and uh, like yourself, you know, getting people out and encouraging out. Anything else you'd do, you know, do you agree with the 5 5K being extended first? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd support that, Jerry, for, for a number of reasons. One is in terms of, obviously, from a mental health uh, point of view, but also in terms of, I've, I've always thought that it's not so much in terms of the travel and how far you go, it's, it's what you do when you reach your destination. Mm. And I think for that, it, it does, there, there, it's always a combination. You know, governments can be blamed, individuals can be blamed in terms of there's slippage here in terms of how we behave. But the reality is a combination of all those things. The government has the responsibilities. We have our own responsibilities in terms of how we act, but also in terms of, I also firmly believe that, you know, we should probably use our own discretion in terms of judging and evaluating risks. So if we're in environments where clearly they're high risk, I think we should probably act and sort of remove ourselves from those uh, situations. Um, so that's certainly, I would certainly be supportive of that. I think in terms of beginning, because at some stage we're going to have to begin to open up uh, businesses and workplaces again. And I think we need to begin to look at, you know, ways and technologies and innovation to try to help us in that and try to embrace, you know, different forms of testing, more rapid forms of testing. Like the PCR test we have is, is, a, is a great test, but the problem is it's not always available. So in those situations, and especially in terms of the scale of the requirement for testing, in those situations where PCR can't serve that requirement, we certainly should be looking at, and at this stage, like a year later, I've said it on a number of occasions, I still just can't, I'm totally confused. Like, I just can't understand why that hasn't been embraced and actually uh, rolled out. So things like that, Jerry, in terms of being more proactive rather than having this situation and having, you know, commentary like, you know, there's slippage, you must try harder. I think most people, the vast majority of people, are trying really hard and the message that is being received by those people, those people who are receiving that message are the people who are trying their damnness to try to, you know, be well behaved and, you know, obey all of the restrictions. But I think we've almost gone as far as we can in terms of what we can achieve with our behaviour. And I think we need we need help now. But we also need to evaluate risk and rather than having this sort of blanket absolutist approach where everything is closed down, begin to look at it and evaluate the risk see how big the risk is and for those activities 
that are relatively low risk, why not permit them again? So I think that's what we should do. We should begin to look at risk management. We will never get to a situation where there's zero risk. There is risk in everything that we do. But what's important is to evaluate the level of that risk and then make the decisions based on that. Uh, So I, I think risk management is one of the things I think really we need to be better at. And Paul, you mentioned the word rollout there uh, in the context of the of the tests you're talking about. Let's talk about rollout and vaccines. And I hear this and feel the frustration of people saying, look, we're looking across the water and up the road and we see what's happening and we know what's happening in America, uh, what Israel have done. Uh, look south to Australia, New Zealand, you know, the way they're fixed at the moment. And people are saying, look, we've done our very best, Paul, and, and we've uh, lived within these restrictions for over a year now and this just seems to be a tale of woe. It is Jerry. Yeah, and considering that vaccine and vaccination is the way out of this I think all the resources and certainly over the last couple of days I've probably been a little bit disappointed and concerned in terms of some of the stories that I've heard for example from some GPs where they would have contacted you know their uh, older patients um, who were due to get the vaccine and maybe you know they were due maybe two, three hundred uh, of their patients were due uh, to get the vaccine and maybe only 25% of that showed up. Uh, so so things like that, and again, without any warning, without any forewarning in terms of that this was going to happen, uh, even the psychological effect on people who sort of built themselves up, who for the last year have sort of been very careful in terms of protecting themselves from the virus and then looking forward, and for many it is a celebration in terms of getting the vaccine, and then to be told, actually, no, it's not there. So things like that is, is just really concerning, not not good enough, basically. And we need to look at ways. And obviously, you know, there are problems and some of the problems are outside of our control. There's been a lot of discussion and a lot of commentary in terms of, you know, the EU and uh, whether it should impose a ban in terms of export of the vaccines that are manufactured in Europe, because it doesn't seem to be reciprocated by uh, the US and the UK. So certainly they're looking into that. But certainly in terms of what's available, uh, and especially for the vulnerable populations that need to be optimised absolutely as soon as possible. And I think the other thing you mentioned before as well, this is just not going to go away if, if Britain completes its vaccination or as I said, and we look at them at Israel to say, the world, this is a world issue. This thing is going to, you know, swill about all over the world, perhaps for years to come. And, you know, there are nations who haven't even seen a jab in the arm yet, Paul. Yeah, there's some poor, low-income countries, you mm. know, and some, some of those countries may not, uh, you know, get vaccines maybe to the end of this year, maybe early next year. And, you know, the WHO has said basically no country is safe until all, every country is safe. And the, the intention there from WHO, and they set up an alliance, a COVAX alliance, with the intention of providing vaccines to every country to the level of at least 20%. And the reason why 20%, that would at least give protection to the most vulnerable in each of those yes. populations. But again, that has not happened, Jerry. You, you've, you've a small number of countries probably taking up maybe 80% of the vaccines. And some of that used just in terms of buying power, in terms of the wealth of these countries. You know, deals have been done ahead of time. So it, it is it is something that, and even when we get to the stage where most of the adult population is vaccinated, that doesn't mean we're still protected. We're still we're immune now from variants coming in because our children won't have been vaccinated. Some people, small numbers of people, the vaccine may not be effective in. So it is important to consider this. This is a pandemic, and a pandemic means this is spread worldwide. It's a worldwide. It's a global problem. And then as a result, because of the global problem, the solution has to be global as well. So it does require coordination 
Uh, but at the moment, certainly very early on, you're going to have the more wealthy nations, uh, you know, get, get, getting most of those uh, vaccines. But that's not necessarily the global approach. That's not necessarily the best uh, approach. Margaret's been on to say, I really love listening to Professor Moyna every week on your show, Jerry, and thanks for bringing him on. He's a rock of sense. Thanks indeed for that comment, lovely comment, Margaret, there. Jimmy's been on, uh, Paul, to say, would you ask Professor Paul, Jerry, how long does the vaccine last for and will there be additional boosters required? So first of all, so most of the vaccines are a two-dose vaccine. So you get you get a what is called a prime boost. So the initial dose is called the prime, and then you get a boost. With the Pfizer-Moderna one, the boost takes place after three or four weeks. With the AstraZeneca one, it's 12 weeks later. There's a new one that was uh, just approved there a couple of weeks ago, Johnson Johnson. That's a single-dose one. So with respect to the uh, single-dose, and even the ones that are given with two doses, you, you, you actually get protection after the first dose. Uh, probably a couple of weeks afterwards. But the reason why you get the second dose is to make better antibodies, but also to give you uh, a longer duration of immunity. So, so far in terms of, because the vaccines have only been rolled out since December, it's difficult to know how long you get protection from. If you get the natural infection with the virus, you're at least protected for up to six to eight months. And that's as far as we can say at this stage, but probably longer. I'd expect you'd probably get the same protection with the vaccines. My own view, Jerry, is that you, you will certainly get, you know, a long number of months, maybe a small number of years protection, potentially from infection. I think this is the rollout in countries like uh, the UK, like Israel, is now showing that these vaccines are probably lowering transmission of the virus as well, which is uh, a really good thing. So, but, but I think as well in terms of the immunity, that you may see a waning of immunity to protect us from initial infection. But I think we've another type of immunity called T-cell immunity, and that's more longer lasting. And that tends to prevent you from getting very sick. So typically when you're infected with a microbe, whether it be a virus or bacteria, and you feel sick for the first time, that's because you're generating an immune response against that. When you've generated the immune response against that, you may be exposed to that microbe again. You may even become infected with it, but you may not even be aware of having been infected because you have this immunity, you have this T-cell immunity that prevents you from getting sick. And I think that type of immunity will be longer lasting. For example, with SARS, that was back in the early 2000s, it was shown that that T-cell mediated immunity lasted for a long number of years. So I think in terms of the immunity that protects us from infection and stops us from getting infected initially with the virus, I think that would certainly last for a number of months, if not a low number of years. But I think, this is my own view, I think the other type of immunity which stops us from getting sick, albeit may not prevent us from getting infected, I think that will last longer. Paul, thank you indeed, and I appreciate you joining me again this week on the show. We'll see you next week, I'm sure, for sure. You're very welcome, Jerry. You're very welcome. <laughs> thank you for joining me again. Appreciate it. That's Professor Paul Moyner there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Is all respect gone? I posed the question today on the show. Is there no care for those who've gone before for us and lie at rest in our cemeteries seems not because Kentstown Church of Ireland Cemetery is the latest place where these mindless yobs have left their mark. Pascal Murray is a local historian and he joins me on the line. Hello Pascal. Good Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Will you tell our listeners what's happened in Kentstown Church of Ireland Cemetery? Uh, yeah, Jerry. Um, 
as a historian, I just I, I pick it up and I, it, it's, it's a Christian cemetery. The cemetery is um, 12th century. It's a Norman cemetery, and um, originally pre Reformation, uh, there were Catholics buried there. And today, in, in I suppose the 18th century, the Church of Ireland built a church there. Okay. So a lot of people think it's an Anglican. Yes, which I did, to be honest with you. We, we have, so basically, there's people have been buried there for okay. Years. Of all denominations, of all denominations, I and mean, you know some of the, some families in the parish still have their plots there right. and buries there. But the Roman Catholic and and it doesn't really make much. Okay, difference. okay. So we know it's, now it's it's for I for everybody. It's, yeah, it's for everybody. But the point about it is, it's there since. 12th century. It's the home of Kentston. It's the place where Stephen de Kent came in 1172, 1175, whatever. And uh, Kentston began, began with a man called Stephen de Kent. And uh, he, he got the townland from Hugh de Lacey. And hence we have Kentston. Um, now, what's it, happened? Just tell me exactly what's happened, the vandalism uh, that's. Basically, um, there's been some of the headstones have been spray painted with an aerosol luminous paint and the wall has been painted as well um graffiti obviously um and um it's it's not terrible it's it's not it it looks looks much worse than it is but it's not something that we would be used to in Kenston. it's a wonderful place to live um mm. we've had uh, the population has grown over the last number of years and i've been involved as um, part of the committee who um come together to put this uh, new park together and we worked 11 years uh, on it, and I've worked with some fantastic people that have come into the parish and have really, really in, in enhanced the area. And we just have a small, a small minority of, of maybe people who just, you know, have nothing better to do than just um, cause vandalism. And we, yes. we just don't, we don't want that. We, mm. you know, we don't need it, especially in that area. It's, it's a very sacred, uh, um, uh, very. Um, 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 Sacred area. Yes, of course. And, you know, we, do, we don't want to be the headstone. One of the headstones that was um, devastated it belongs to a curate of the parish who was born three hundred years ago today, three hundred years ago this year. Sorry, mm. and uh, he in in seventeen twenty one, and he died in seventeen ninety six, and um, he has rested there for two hundred twenty five years under the lovely um, beech trees and um, basically with, with and in peace. Yes, undisturbed or unaffected undisturbed. until now, we have to say. the tree, They've sprayed a tree, I know, as well, a wall. And I'm, lo- I'm looking at the pictures here. Yeah. It does look really bad when, when you see the, the pictures of what happened. So it's some mindless individual or individuals. When did it happen? I think over the weekend. Right. Um, we had um, a small little Camino there uh, walk um, on, on St. Patrick's Day. Um, and we met there at, 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 at the Church of Ireland. And there was no sign of it at that stage. So it's uh, sometimes, mm. uh, sometime over the over the weekend. Yeah. Okay, um, I, I despair when I <clears throat> hear of things like this and see things. And I say again, it's horrendous to think that yeah, people yeah. cannot rest in peace that went before us, and that somebody has to go in and do something like this. I would love if these people were apprehended. I take it it's a, a guard inquiry. Yep, guards who were there yesterday and uh, had a, had a very good look at it, and it's we left it with them, and um, they will take it further. If mm. I'd appeal to anybody who has any information out there. You know, always in these cases, I say it again. You might think it's nothing, but if anybody saw any activity there 
or knows or heard a whisper, contact the local guardian and let them know. You may be a part of solving this and identifying these morons, is all I can say. Morons who did this. That's what they are. And it's shocking to see it because it is a beautiful, as you say, beautiful place, uh, Pascal, there. But out of character, for sure. It is totally out of character. And just remember that it is um, belonged to the Church of Ireland and uh, Canon Clark and in this community. And if if anybody wants to do anything or help, make sure that they go through them. It's not yes. uh, It's not public property in, in, in that sense. And we want to be very sensitive to um, and the Church of Ireland community. We're excellent people and, and, and you know, help us out in every way, yeah. in, historically and everything else that they're a part of it. So we want to be very, very conscious. Yes. It's their property. And uh, like that, you know, people are free to visit, but not to cause any destruction no. because it is a sacred place. Um, and like uh, people often ask me, how many people would you estimate buried there? We look at the walls that are around the cemetery at the moment and they are what we call um, uh, post famine or landlord's walls. The cemetery would have been huge, would have been twice the area that, that are there. And there could be Eight, ten thousand people buried in. in my, that. oh my, that's an awful lot of you know, souls that rest there. It really is. Look, Pascal, I have to leave it there for today. I thank you for joining me and uh, highlighting this matter with us. And I really do hope it never happens again and those responsible are brought to boot for this. Pascal Mary, historian, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Yes, and uh, Canon John Clark, uh, we've been in touch with uh, Canon John Clark. He, he wasn't available to join us on air at this time, but he did say that if anyone could help the community resolve this, or if anyone had specialist knowledge on how to remove the paint without damaging the headstone or the tree there, which is ancient, please get in touch with him. That's Canon John Clark, and we thank him for that and wish everybody well. Terrible, terrible, isn't it? It really is. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Hello to Jim and Cooley this afternoon. Jim, your question just came to me as Paul Paul, uh, Moynes signed off. I'll hold it and I'll put it to him next week, I promise you. Um, Another one there says, vaccines won't be the saviour. It comes in from Jim this afternoon, a different Jim. Uh, I said it a year ago, lockdowns don't work. If they don't change their mindset soon, this will be going on for years, Jerry. Thanks indeed for your comments. Keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number to late lunch this afternoon or you can call in on 1850-715-958. And welcome if you're just joining us on the show. There's so many ways to listen to us now. The traditional radio, of course. Your smart speaker. Yes, you can listen to us there. Or the LMFM app. Make sure you have that app and bring it with you. You can bring us with you wherever you go then. No matter where you are in the world, you can listen to LMFM radio and your late lunch each afternoon between 1.30 and 3.30. Now, my next guest was diagnosed with chronic insomnia when she was just 17 and has since spent years researching ways to get a good night's sleep. Now a young mum herself, she's recently launched a website called unwind.ie. So has Deirdre Hines discovered the secret to nightly necessary shut-eye? Well, let's find out. Deirdre, welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me. Not at all. And I want to say to listeners, I know you're not an expert in sleep and we understand that, but you have an experience and a story that may be of assistance to others. May I go back uh, to your younger years? 17, I mentioned there, but from a child and onwards, did you always struggle with sleep? 
Yeah, I did actually. Like some of my very earliest memories are connected to sleep and my aversion to the bedroom and bedtime. So like I can remember from the age of four or five, really just lying awake in bed, not being able to sleep and just a sort of an awareness that um, my siblings didn't seem to have the same sort of problems or issues. So it really did present itself from an early age. Like my mum and dad would even say that as a baby, like I seemed to be awake a lot more. Like I wasn't crying or anything, but I seemed to be awake more than a mm. usual baby seemed to be awake. So it was in the genes or whatever. You had this thing that sleep wasn't easy at all for you. So as you grow up, you know, you have your schooling to do, your play, you have your life to lead, you go move on into second level school. I mentioned, so come back to 17 again, when you actually got the diagnosis of insomnia. How bad was it at that stage? For example, how, how few hours were you sleeping at night time? Well, I would say it's a funny thing with teenagers because there would be a lot of theory surrounding a teen a teen sort of like body clock. Yes. Anyway. And there would be an awful lot of movement even in the States to actually delay school times by about an hour or two because teens tend to mm. need more sleep in the morning in particular. So I don't know if it was maybe that um, added to the fact that I struggled to get to sleep anyway. But I would say like typically a normal night for me could have been like kind of four or five hours-ish. So I would say that I would probably have, I'd naturally be a nocturnal sort of a person, definitely a night owl. And I think the problem with school was, you know, needing to fit, it's sort of a square peg round hole kind of a thing, needing to be up at a certain time to mm. be in school for a certain time when it probably didn't totally suit my body. Yes. Myself. So you could have let you, in other words, you'd be up, 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 then grab those few hours and it could have gone a little bit later and school time starting at 10 or 11 would have been your dream. But that wasn't, that wasn't possible. So were you wrecked in school? I I was never wrecked. I think it was more that um, it was, yeah, I, I think I always got by fine, you know, and I think it probably was more of um concerned I, I think maybe moving into exam years you know and and probably when school became a little bit more stressful at different points mm. that it became more of an issue I would say in general I'd be a fairly energetic person okay but it was maybe a growing sense of awareness like not everybody else seems to have this issue you know mm. that um I feel like I'm a little bit alienated from the normal sleep experience Okay, but there are people and many people like you and there are people listening to you today that I'm sure can empathise with what you're saying. So you're diagnosed at 17 and as I said in the introduction, you have spent a a number of years looking for the solution to this. Did anything work or what did you try? Yeah, well, like the funny thing about sleep and searching for sleep, it's kind of the holy grail, isn't it? Like, you know, and I'm sure again, a lot of your listeners will, this will resonate with them. You know, you could... Um, if you if you were to see a room with a hundred people and a hundred people in that room present uh, with you know problematic sleep, um, every single one of those people in the room will have different reasons for that. Like mm. you know, for some people it might be stress, for some people it's environmental, for some people it's a new baby, whatever else. So, like if you were to come up with a sleep solution, it really isn't a one size fits all. Yes, because every single sleep. Um, issue it has a different source or a different reason behind it. And mm. um, so, like in my case, when I was pers- or when I was diagnosed um, a chronic insomniac, it was a bit of a double-edged sword because, like on the one hand, it sort of um, it validated my experience, which was great. You know, it was like, oh, I have a thing. I'm a chronic insomniac. But on the other hand, the sort of flip side of that was 
it allowed it, it didn't really go much further than you know just a top line um, explanation. It didn't really probe any deeper. Well, why yeah. do you why do you have problems sleeping compared to other people? Like you know, are there other what ways can we approach this that are you know healthy and um, maybe proactive? So in my case, our family GP actually prescribed me like fairly strong sleeping pills, um, which you know at age seventeen is you know it's it's probably I don't think it would happen now. Yeah, so that's nearly the guts of twenty years ago. Um, like I'm thirty six, so it was nearly twenty years ago that that happened. And sleeping pills are, you know, they can be a lifeline for someone who's really going through a bit of a, a difficult period sleep wise. But it's not, it's not a sort of a long term solution, really. No. No. So that's r- really what kickstarted. I think the problem for me being prescribed sleeping pills at such an early age is that it kind of affected my own sense of confidence in my own ability to fall asleep, and. For any of your listeners who are, you know, who do tend to struggle a little bit with their sleep, they can probably understand that sense of losing confidence in your own ability to do something that seems to come so frustratingly easy to other people. Mm. You know, you go mm. to bed and you just think, oh, well, I can't do this. I actually can't fall asleep on my own unaided. And it's very, um, I suppose it's quite incapacitating or debilitating to feel that your own sense of ability is compromised in that fashion. Yeah. And so that's really where... Yeah, like I would say that 20 years on, I went through, you know, I kind of have maybe given every pack or, you know, a suggestion a go. Um, some of them have been quite out there and, you know, a little bit like unconventional. And then, you know, you follow the more conventional routes as well. Give me an example of an unconventional one. An unconventional one. Well, every single alternative therapy basically going that anyone had said to me, you know, have you tried this? Yes, OK. Have you tried Reiki? Have you tried Indian head massage? Have yeah. you tried, you know, um, jazz meditation? Uh, have you tried acupuncture? Have you, like, everything. So everything. Kind of everything I would. Now, and, and even still, when someone says to me, oh, you don't sleep well, I'm sure you've heard all this before. I'm still always open because I'm always really interested to hear what people have to say to me, you know. And I do think that every sort of uh, contribution, if it's coming from the right place, is is, is valid. And yes. definitely a value to me. But I would say tried all of those, tried, you know, diet elimination, tried different types of exercise, different types of meditation, different types of sleeping pills as well, actually. So kind of over the counter or not, um, a couple of different types there. Um, And, uh, you know, different lifestyle, I suppose, like. So, Mm. you know, maybe readjusting my my schedule, my timetables, my sleep environments and all those kind of things. Yes. So our listeners now are all wide awake and the ears are... Uh, prepped up there now everyone wants to hear what worked for Deirdre Hines okay so I would say what where I'm at now is I feel like I live my life by percentages you know little small percentages for me there's no such thing as a silver bullet or a panacea there's no one big revelation or one big thing you can do differently and I think it's all about making very very small adjustments and seeing a cumulative um, impact and positive impact hopefully so, like, um, I suppose if I'm speaking from a personal um, yeah. side of things, and, and obviously for your listeners, this may not do anything for them at all. So I, I concede that point completely. But for me, a couple of things would be, um, for example, I would be very particular about my sleep environment. I'm very particular about, like, room temperature and room uh, darkness. I like to be very, very dark and very, very cool. Mm. Um, I'm very particular about uh, limiting my exposure to... Um, devices like, you know, say light, blue light being emitted from phones and tablets. Yep. Um, I would do things like I'd never 
as much and all as I love current affairs, like my own background is in is in media marketing as well. But as much and all as I love current affairs, I won't ever look at anything too, uh, say I guess what's the word now, stimulating or um, contentious from the time of about nine pm on. So I kind of limit current affairs programs. Okay, you know, I'm interested in them. And I would think the same with like, you know, deep, heavy conversations or phone calls. I try to like put all of that off until the next day after a certain point. Mm. Um, and I do, for me as well, what helps massively would be uh, the sort of tried and tested meditation, breathing techniques and yoga. Um, okay. Yeah. And this works for you. And you do a little movement, I see as well. What about these? I'm curious about these sleep stories. Oh, yeah. So this basically, so the on the website, so the website is unwind.ie and I guess um, the website is, is part, it's the sort of uh, the home of a range of um, evening snack bars that we have yeah. produced. So these evening snack bars are uh, made in Ireland and they're produced with natural nighttime friendly ingredients. And these are the sort of things that I would have always incorporated into my diet anyway. So we are working with ingredients like chamomile which you might have heard of it's a day mm. yeah promote relaxation and uh, montmorency cherry which helps to um, naturally increase the production of melatonin and that's our sleep hormone and we're also working with l-theanine which is an amino acid which is found in green tea and it helps to promote uh, feelings of relaxation so we actually have produced this range of snack bars um, and we just launched them to the market there about a week ago. Yes, I saw and that and that's what brought yeah. you to my attention. Yeah. So these unwind bars actually incorporate all those ingredients that are proven, you know, to be assists, you know, with relaxation and sleep as well. So and you 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 uh, you uh, eat these and yeah, and I know enjoy a cup of tea with them. Some people would say tea is a stimulant, but a cup of tea or whatever with them evening time. And you believe the benefits are amazing from these for you and for others as well. But just on the stories, you know, the way you tell a child a story, uh, you know, going to sleep and that is a traditional thing that mums and dads and people caring for children do. You like this idea of, you know, trying to relax with a story. I do. I think it's really, really important. So, like, I mean, look, the evening snappers, they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, they taste really nice, but it's, again, going back to the percentages, it's just one part of a whole yeah. evening routine that should be designed specifically around helping you to unwind in the evening. Mm. The bedtime stories are a part of that. Uh, we have, they're all um, original uh, original um, pieces of text as well, designed specifically to kind of uh, emulate that sort of a dreamlike state before mm. you fall asleep. You know, it's yes. not about a riveting narrative that you're gripped by, you know, because to be honest, that's not really going to help you fall asleep. Of course. The idea is it's a narrator with a beautiful, dreamy, soft voice with a lovely kind of sounds interspersed in between. And it's sort of like gently leading you down this path towards sleep. Mm. And for me, like, I think when I think back to when I was a child, we all love. Um, stories being read to us at bedtime. You know, when you feel yes. safe and secure and it's, it's a really yes. lovely experience. I, I like it. I really do like it and, I, and it caught my attention actually when I saw it. So are you sleeping before we finish up? Are, has all this, you know, the holistic approach with all those things combined worked for you? It has worked for me. It's not every night that I have, you know, a great perfect sleep but the idea of an eight-hour block of sleep is a kind of a as, a as a dream. Not to sorry to use the pun, but it is a bit of a dream anyway. Like yeah. we're all we're all designed to have you know many series of little wake ups through the night. It's just about getting back to sleep. But mm. really, like in terms of sleep, it's about how you feel the next morning. And 
Some people can feel great after a six-hour sleep, some people an eight-hour sleep, whatever else. You just need to find what works for you. I feel better now because I know I'm taking proactive steps to improve my sleep quality and quantity. And it's all of those little things. It's the movement, you know, the sleepy stretching sequence, the yoga, which, you know, and it's for people who have never tried yoga. My parents do it, and it's not like, the, you know, yoga is something that they usually would have done. It's very gentle. It All it is is about, like, stretching out your body, giving your mind a little bit of time to relax and settle into that kind of evening sense of rhythm, which is really just about slowing down. That's what we're all about, yes. just about slowing down and taking your time. It certainly is. I like uh, what you're doing and I just wanted to have a wee chat with you today uh, to introduce it to our listeners and perhaps, and I think there is certainly much food for thought there in what we've spoken about for the last while. And you can check it out unwind.ie it's a great name unwind.ie is the website there's lots more there I'm delighted for you that you're getting your sleep now and your success story and well done to you after all these years thanks so much Jerry. lovely to have chatted to you today you too thank you for joining me on the show that's Deirdre Hines there from unwind.ie interesting isn't it worked for her lots of little pieces there that perhaps you could incorporate and would help you to uh, sleep well anyone out there struggling with the sleep is there anyone out listening to us today that does or is there something that's worked for you in terms of uh, getting a good night's sleep if there is let us know and we'll tell everybody else. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. I think I'll go for a snooze for a few minutes. Back to my conversation with Paul Moyne top of the show. Why should people, Jerry, be allowed to fly into our country, travel from Dublin to the Dun- to Donegal or the Cliffs of Moher and so forth when we're restricted to 5K? We want to be free in our own country, to travel to family and friends around Ireland. We are just at the end of our tether. And bringing people into work and fruit and meat industries and roaming around our villages with no masks and no distancing, not to mention no quarantine for them. Well, the quarantine is in now from Friday and I see in the UK thanks for your message and I'm sure your sentiments there reflect the feelings of so many people they really do Um, I see in the UK if you go on holiday now if you just decide to take a break £5,000 you will be fined you'll be fined £5,000 Look at this time, really realistically, uh, you know, the quarantine is there to put people off coming to Ireland and it's tough for tourism and tough for everybody, but that's what it's there for. We are an island. I know we have the difficulty of the border and Belfast, etc. And we're not singing off the one hymn sheet. But look, this should have been done a long, long time ago. Restriction of people coming into the country and anyone going on holidays. Look, I've no time for anybody. I, I, I keep saying it. I want to go myself and I feel sorry for the people in the travel industry and our own Sandra Finnegan and our team at Globe who were very close to as well. It's an awful time, so it is. But look, we just got to sit tight for a little bit longer. That's what I'm hoping for. And I, I'm, I'm trusting. I'm trusting what we're hearing as well, that that will happen, that we will be able to travel. But it looks like this year is gone at this stage. A lot of it anyway, or the most of it. Um, what else have I there? Yes, Jerry. Two cans of Guinness and a small powers does it for me. No bother sleeping, bio. That comes in from Eamon today. I love it, Eamon. Thanks indeed for getting in touch with us. You know, sleep, sleep. What about sleep? How do you get to sleep? Any tips? I don't go to bed early. That's number one. I stay Very up. Late? I'd be up till midnight anyway. Oh, gosh. Near enough most nights. What time nights. did you get up in the morning? Seven. Mm, couldn't do that. Yeah, it's six, seven hours does me. 
to be honest with you. It would. And most nights I do sleep well for that. I'll tell you about the walking. <laughs> I'm sleeping now. Conked. I'm conked. I am, yeah. Now, I went to bed a little earlier. I'd say 11 o'clock some days as well after the good walk and that as well. You'd be a little bit more tired. It takes the energy. But I, in all my life, I've never struggled to get asleep. I wouldn't sleep if I was worried. You'd be up all night. Ah, oh, I'd a worry on my mind. But, and I've an awful... You know me, Louise. She worked with me for how long now. My mind is just chugging along Racing. all the time. And it races. It'd be thinking about things that I probably shouldn't have tried to empty it. That's the idea. But I did tell you before, and people laughed at me about this. If I'm ever struggling, I set off in the car. I get into the car and I head off to the west to fish, maybe to Caraba Mask or somewhere. And in the car, I try to think of all the little places. Now, there's motorways now. I drive through. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah. on the journey? It's like counting, you know, the counting a sheep thing that people do. Yeah. It's probably a bit like that. And it sort of works for me. Uh, it just works. It's a little... My sheep always run into the <laughs> Or dig a hole and go under it. So I just, that actually frustrates me. I can't do the counting sheep. Oh, C and D. Yes, that's us on late lunch. I did, I did tell myself a story going to bed about me winning the lottery and by the time I've paid off all my debts I'm fast asleep <laughs> it's the only thing that works for me yeah, you know people have little tricks and ways mm. but seriously Louise I do know some people who just can't sleep I know I, I couldn't that would be so it awful is the most, I feel so sorry for them it's the most debilitating thing to not mm. be able to sleep you know it really is and the more you get worked up the more you mm. definitely can't sleep it builds you know and as, yeah. as uh, Deirdre was saying to us there's that confidence thing that I can't you know what I mean? You lose that or, or that ability. It's a serious matter. It really is. And on another serious matter, what about the shootings? And did you see uh, last night? That's something I was oh, waiting up in Boulder, Colorado. Ten people mowed down in a supermarket um, by a gunman who was led away. And, you know, here's the thing, Louise. That was yesterday. That Right. So let, let me just take you back. That was Boulder, Colorado yesterday. That was the 22nd. On the 20th of March in Philadelphia, one killed, five injured, right, at a party. On the 20th as well in Dallas, eight people were shot by an unknown assailant, one died. On the 20th as well, Houston, Texas, five people shot in a disturbance inside a club, one critical. On the 18th of March in Gresham, Oregon, four victims taken to hospital after a shooting in Portland. On the 17th of March in Patrick's Day, Stockton, California, five people who were preparing for a vigil, were shot in a drive-by shooting. And then uh, the 16th of March, this, this is just a week, Louise, in a week, uh, in Atlanta, eight people, including six Asian women, you know this, were killed mm. when a white gunman stormed three spas. That's in the space of a week in the United States of America. And, and they still, still no discussion. talk about the right to bear arms. The right to bear arms goes back hundreds of years and it's absolute nonsense and the NRA and people you know who are pushing this uh, all of the time have their S-H-I-T-E to be honest with you in my book because it's quite obvious guns and millions of guns in the hands of everybody and anybody means that mass shootings will continue ad infinitum the greatest nation in the world the stupidest people in the world if they haven't copped on to that already. Thank God, gun crime in this country. It's relatively small. The same in the UK, probably in Europe as well, because we have tight gun regulations here. You can't own a bloody gun. It's hard to get a gun. The licensing thing. Yes, people who go shooting and that as well. But come on, how many children have to be 
shot and murdered in schools in the USA. Innocent shoppers in supermarkets. When will they ever cop on? I do not know. Maybe it's too late altogether. We're wasting our time even talking hot air about it. But there has to be. There has to be. Just uh, They've proven, I think it was Australia, was it, or New Zealand, had a moratorium. Millions of guns were handed in. And listen. No more. It's very little. It's, it's proven. It is. The NRA. Give me a break. 100 years on from 1921. Yes, it is the centenary and each month on late lunch. We're joined by historian Sean Collins, who's on the line. Hello again, Sean. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? Before we get into this, last night on RTE, Claire Byrne addressed a huge issue, a debate about a border poll and a united Ireland. Now, Sean, you are well placed to comment on this with your associations north of the border with uh, the unionist community who you engage with a lot through the Battle of the Boyne and more besides. Um, A border poll, Sean. Yes, no, in the short, medium term. Well, Jerry. Uh, first of all, may I say I'm a great admirer of Claire Bourne, and I love her program. Um, I, I think she, she's really top class in our presentation. Um, in relation to the border polls, uh, it's something that the Good Friday Agreement provided for, and uh, I'm a great believer in the Good Friday Agreement, and I think we've moved so far since its inception. Um, I was concerned in the last 10 years or so where there seemed to be nobody in government interested in the Good Friday Agreement anymore. And I I think that's the backbone to the whole peace we have had in the country for the last 20 years. In fact, there's no denying it's the backbone to it. A border poll, as I said, is is part of that. Mm. Uh, Whether we're ready for a border poll yet, I don't know. If you looked at the debate last night, uh, Gregory Campbell, uh, maybe annoyed a few people, but that's what I'd expect from Gregory. Yes. I, I had here in Drogheda many years ago. And, um, you know, he's he's holding up his own side, so to speak. Uh, Joe Brawley, on the other hand, uh, got carried away with himself, and mm. I, I hope he's not going to be one of our peace negotiators. Um, but I believe that there's a long road to go. Uh, there's a lot more talking to be done. Uh Mary Lou handled it exceptionally well. I, I, I really uh, was impressed by her. Um, I'm concerned that, you know, we do need to start talking and talking about going down that road. But we can't start making changes in assumption that everybody will agree. Yes. You only had to listen to Gregory Campbell last night to see his reaction to the notion. Uh, Leo Varadka spoke about the, the idea that you know, we would have to eliminate the title of Taoiseach and the title of Tarnister because they're old traditional Gaelic uh, terms and, and they would offend the unionist community. And that's fair enough. But you can't just abolish them uh, basing yourself on an assumption that we will have a, a united Ireland, that everybody will want that. Mm. Uh, as I said, referring back to Gregory Campbell, you know, he, he sees himself as British, as many people in Northern Ireland do. Indeed, there are people in the south of Ireland see themselves as British. Mm. So I, I think there's an awful lot of talking to be done, uh, and it's good that they've opened the debate. I, I think last night was very important because it, it opened a very uh, reasonable, sensible debate. 
and the leaders were exceptionally good. I have to say. Okay. Uh, yeah. Good. I, I thought it was good. Yes. Good. Was good. Good to get your view and Alan take on it, John. But not look at it. I hear what you're saying. There's a lot of groundwork to be done before you consider, you know, holding something like that. And then, of course, the ramifications of it if you don't have uh, the majority of people with you in the thinking. Let's go back a hundred years. God, the, the, it, does history repeat itself? Was it any different? <laughs> Uh, well, Jerry, going back uh, to March 1921, um, we've got to see there then that the War of Independence was at its height. By St. Patrick's Day, a hundred people had died. You know, between the 1st and the 17th of March, a hundred people had died, uh, effectively from gunshots. Uh, it included IRA volunteers, soldiers, RIC, black and tans, auxiliaries, innocent bystanders. Uh, sectarian murder, revenge killings. Uh, guns were the order of the day, and, and murder and mayhem uh, seemed to be the, the way to move. Um, you know, the, there was an average uh, death of, there was aver- an average number of eight deaths a day in March, which is higher than COVID is at the moment. Um, it's, you know, and we're, we're living through the whole COVID thing. But, um, you know, uh, as well as as, kill- as killings uh, from gunshot wounds on the 14th of March, uh, six IRA prisoners were hanged in Mount Joy. Uh, so you had that aspect of it to uh, think about as well. The very fourth killing on the 4th of March happened at 12.30 a.m. in the morning. So 30 minutes into the month, uh, Charles Daly, a railway porter in Cork, uh, but also an active IRA volunteer, uh, was brought into a tunnel in the railway station and murdered by persons unknown. Mm. So in the first 30 minutes of the of the month, somebody was killed. It would culminate uh, at the end of March with 240 deaths. Um, a man uh, was finally, um, the last man killed on the 31st of March, Michael Luby, uh, was a spy in Tipperary. He was murdered by the IRA. The bulk of this killing and mayhem was happening in the south of the country. A little bit spread around. Uh, I'm delighted to say the the northeast was quiet, but you have things like the high-profile events of the War of Independence, the Cross Barry ambush. Uh, Tom Barry and his flying column uh, were surrounded by uh, in the in around 500 British troops and armed police. Uh, Barry knew that they were surrounded and they were, they were surrounded on three sides and they had the sea behind them. So they had nowhere to escape. And uh, it, the whole idea of the uh, endeavour on behalf of the military was to surprise Barry and take his people out and effectively put an end to the IRA operation in West Cork. So Barry, very boldly, uh, with good local information, uh, he launched the forced attack and managed to break through the cordon provided by the British Army and got his men away to safety. So our great endeavour uh, proved a disaster to the British and a great, uh, I suppose, victory for Barry. Mm. Uh, got his men away and they didn't manage to suppress the IRA in Cork, which was the, uh, the whole idea. Um, in the actual event, uh, 10 soldiers and four IRA men were killed two days later uh, at Headford Rail Crossing outside Killarney. The biggest engagement of IRA volunteers and military took place. 
when the IRA gathered at Headford uh, Crossing and attacked the train of British soldiers coming in. Uh, seven soldiers and four IRA men died. But it was seen as a great uh, moral booster, I suppose, for the IRA uh, to let them see that they had the support and it, it kept their profile high. After all, on the 11th of March 1921, the Dáil formally, at last, declared war on the British administration, even though the war had been going on for about six months at that stage. That was the first time they officially declared war as a government body. The North East uh, was free, I think, of the motor and mayhem experienced in the South. You also should bear in mind all the southern counties were under martial law. But the North East was quite disturbed. There was a lot going on. If you read the papers from the early days of March, uh, Navin experienced a lot of raids and attacks by Crown forces. In one evening, Cavanaugh's, Loughran's, Grogan's and Doors and Trimgate Street were raided and Finnegan's and Ludlow Street. They even searched, the newspaper said, the hats and boots of some of the young men present. Um, on the 10th of March, J.J. O'Kelly, the TD for South Loud, was arrested at his house and interned along with 28 other TDs. Navan Railway Station was raided by masked men. Uh, they burned goods which were identified as being from Northern Ireland because there was a, a Belfast ban on the to- on, at the time and they warned people not uh, to buy Belfast goods as they described them. Now, the foreman at the Urban District Council was arrested uh, as a result of that robbery. John McLaughlin of Kilcarn, who walked in Finnegan's, was also arrested at his home. Dr. Cusick was arrested and taken away to jail. And so in Navan, they had nobody to uh, deal with the local uh, health issues that were arising. And they had to get Dr. Bradley from Drogheda uh, to come over and help out in Navan. So there was a lot going on, Sean, in the northeast without the level of fatalities. And when you mentioned those numbers for March, my oh my, wouldn't that just be major headlines if it were to happen today? Indeed. And the one death in the northeast in the period was when Patrick MacDonald of Ballinlochan County Mead, uh, when his home was raided, uh, he escaped across a field at the back of the house. And he was shot in the back and he died later on in, in Kells RIC barracks. Mm. Moving into uh, North County Dublin in Balbriggan, the a policeman, the Sergeant Kelly, out on a Saturday evening stroll in Balbriggan, was fired on by three armed men, but he managed to escape. The loud assizes had uh, been held in Dundalk on the Monday. Uh, the judges had to be accompanied uh, from the train by upwards on 40 armed policemen, because even the judges uh, were under threat. In Drogheda, the corporal members uh, were not attending their meetings because they were living in fear, because in February, Alderman Tom Halpin had been murdered. And people like Dinny Redden, uh, who actually wrote to the council and pointed out he, w- he was afraid. He was afraid to come to his meetings because of what uh, was happening. Uh, Gibney's house in King Street was raided and the authorities dug up the garden front and back uh, searching for arms. 
black and tan lorries firing randomly, driving through West Street on a Saturday night, uh, scared the living life out of the local people. Um, and then a, a large force of police and military uh, searched the railway station. No one knows what they were searching for, but they held up everything. Uh, Millen's house in Trinity Street was raided. One member of the family was arrested, and one of them was already being held in Ballykinlo. In Dundalk, the story was the same. Uh, four deserters, funnily enough, from the South Wales Barbers, a regiment based in Drogheda, went on a trail of mayhem and destruction from that boy across as far as Cullen. Even RD didn't, uh, didn't escape their behaviour. Uh, they were all eventually apprehended in a hay barn in Castle Bellingham. And for a change, they brought the soldiers before the courts in Bundock and the local RIC charged them uh, for the damage they had carried out. Mm. Uh, the Belfast boycott was in full swing in Dundalk. Uh, local houses were raided and a number of local men were sent as prisoners to different jails. Yes, so there was lots of thuggery going on, lots of uh, awful things happening across the northeast in this month back in 1921. Sean, I have to leave it there. I'm just up against the clock and I will be remembering, I know you're a good friend of Ronan Caffrey's, after the break, and that's coming up just after our next break. But for the moment, historian John Collins, until the month of April, we'll talk to you then. Take care, Jerry. Yes, Paddy Riley there in the fields of Athenride, the definitive version in my book of that song. And uh, Sean Collins did ask us to play that song in memory of his good friend Ronan Caffrey, who passed away recently and we're delighted to play that song in his memory for Ronan and on behalf of Sean and all his friends. Now, uh, let me go back to an earlier conversation on the show. Hi, Jerry. I'm in that boat of not sleeping. If I get three hours a night, I'm lucky. I went to bed at 2am this morning, was up at 6, had the house cleaned, the dinner ready by 7.30 and I'm still on the go. It's like this all of the time. I have a full-scale conversation with myself but uh, it just doesn't shut down the brain at all. It's so annoying, says a late lunch listener. That's tough on you. It certainly is. On the uh, vandalism in Kentstown, a listener on to say, in relation to the old cemetery, the cemetery is privately owned now, Jerry, and it's absolutely disgusting behaviour and so evil. Has anyone a grudge against the owner or owners? That's where I'd be starting my investigation, believe me. Uh, this happened to me in the past. I'm also a victim of this, says a listener today to us on Late Lunch. Thanks indeed for that message. And just to let you know, Suzanne Lynch, yes, good friend of ours, Irish Times Washington correspondent, has just tweeted in relation to that uh, gun shooting yesterday in the States uh, that the suspect in the Boulder shooting has been charged with 10 counts of murder in the first degree and the person is aged 21. 21 years of age. Need I say any more? Just to remind you that Drogheda Outcomers are having uh, their March Magic. It's a one-off magic show. It happens over Zoom and it's taking place this Thursday at a quarter to eight. It's called Virtually Impossible and it's Ireland's leading magician, Joe Daly. Oh, well-known fella, indeed. If you want to join in, you need to register 
outcomersdrahada at gmail.com. That's outcomersdrahada at gmail.com. Registration needed this Thursday, 25th of March. Virtually impossible with Joe Daly. And we wish them well with that one there. Big thank you to Liam and and Hatch, who've just delivered a fantastic donation for Slav. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Liam and Anne. It's really Really great to see uh, the generosity and really experience it for this young fella. Thank you indeed for uh, dropping that into us here at the station. Ah, sad news reaching us. Noel Bridgman, many people would know Noel, a legendary drummer. Began with Skid Row all those years ago. Played for the likes of Mary Black and the Water Boys and indeed Christy Moore. Yes, Noel has passed away. Uh, this afternoon and we think of him today and I know he's really will be missed by all of the people he brought so much joy to over the years and I think of um, you know so many of the greats who he played for he played all over the country and was known the length and breadth of the land and it's a sad day with the passing of Noel Bridgman we may he rest in pieces uh, news of his death just coming to us as we uh, are on air here on Late Lunch. Christy Moore I mentioned as one of those that Noel played with and accompanied over the years and Christy is my artist of the month this month, uh, this month, this week on Late Lunch. Christy, as I said yesterday, was a key member of Planksty along with Andy Irvine, Donald Lunny and Liam O'Flynn. Together they really did transform and popularise Irish folk music with the likes of the Cliffs of Dunneen and many more ballads besides. They formed in 1972, but Christy departed in late 74 to pursue a solo career. He toured extensively, building up a solid following. He wrote and recorded extensively, becoming known for championing various causes and highlighting injustice through his words and songs. The albums came along too, consistently in the 70s. Whatever tickles your fancy. Isn't that a great name for an album? It was in 75, 76. Saw the uh, Christy Moore album issue, just his own name with that one. And Live in Dublin was released then in 78. And they were all must-haves for his growing fan base. Today in song, here's Christy covering a Pogue song in his own inimitable way. It's about... World War One and the horrors of war. Ah, oh, fantastic. Christy Moore and Brown Eyes on your late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Shane McGowan from The Pen and the uh, brilliant songwriting of Shane McGowan. The Pogues, of course, covered brilliantly there uh, by Christy Moore. And we'll have more on Christy and another fine tune for you on Late Lunch tomorrow, round about this time. And when I was talking about Noel Bridgman earlier, I forgot to mention Brush Shields, of course. Brush, so close to Brush, Noel was. I know Brush will be devastated with news of Noel's passing. And we think of all his family and friends today at this time. Final break of the afternoon on Late Lunch. And after the break, we're Heading to beautiful Carlingford. Holidays abroad, unlikely this year, it has to be said. But staycations and visits, day visits, day trips, weekends, you name it, here at home. 
please God, they will be on for us. So we'll be able to enjoy this wonderful country and one place here in the North East, and we have loads of lovely places to visit, that is really special is Carlingford and the Cooley Peninsula. And they are doing their best to get ready for the new season and encourage people to visit it. Tell me more. We spoke to him on the show before. He's the owner of On Your Bike in Carlingford. He's on the line, Richard Lewis. Hello again, Richard. Hello, how are you? I'm really good. Thanks for joining me on the show. So tell us, what are you up to there? There's something new happening and there's little teasers for people who get involved. Which It's a new website, is it? It is. It's, uh, it's called discovercarlingford.com and at the moment, uh, until the 14th of April, we're running a staycation giveaway um, basically to just make people aware that when they're ready to come, we're ready to receive them. Um, and we've got a fabulous set of prizes that have been put together by the traders uh, of Carlingford and, and the Cooley Peninsula. DiscoverCarlingford.com is the website we're talking about, DiscoverCarlingford.com. And if you just go in there, what do you want people to do? Go in and like or follow, or what do you want people to do on social media? That's it. So on social media, we're looking for them to you know, to share the good news. There's a new video every day. There's a, a video that surrounds it all just showcasing Carlingford and the Cooley Peninsula and all that we have to offer. And then uh, we ask them to register on the website just for the competition. Uh, we're not going to spam them afterwards. It's just literally to, to manage the entrance. And we have a live draw on April the 15th. And there'll be one lucky winner of a set of prizes, which are worth around €1,500. Euros. So I think they'll have a better chance of winning that than the lottery. <laughs> I think you're right. There's no doubt about that. Now, not to cry in the lottery, but I know what you're saying. The odds are better if you enter this draw. So it's discovercarlingford.com. And what they want you to do as well is follow them on uh, Facebook, like on Instagram, that type of thing as well. All the information is there. The prizes are great, I have to say. The first one is an all-inclusive break for a family of four. Second prize is a romantic midweek break. Oh, you'll be going to Garn House and that one. Beautiful. And the third is a family day trip. So there's wonderful prizes there to be had. There's no catch in this at all. Just go in, check it out, register, and away you go from there. Hey, tell me about the Biden factor on that neck of the woods. Have you your fingers and legs and everything else crossed? Of course we do, but, I mean, we have to be realistic. I don't think we're going to see uh, American visitors this year, and and it's a shame because, obviously, it's uh, time-stamped. We obviously have fabulous connections to to Joe Biden, uh, there in Whitestown. He visited Lily Finnegan's, as you probably know. Uh, maybe not everybody knows, but after the official visit, he came back in jeans and a T-shirt uh, for a pint there and meet the local and his cousins. So we've definitely got strong connections um, and there's so many fabulous things to do here in the Carlingford, Cooley Peninsula uh, for any visitor from anywhere. So we do look forward to the days when hopefully, fingers crossed, people will be able to visit Ireland again. And Joe Biden in particular, he was there, I know, of course, in 2016. You're talking about that time when he did visit. And there is a hope that uh, before his presidency ends, he's only at the start of it, that he will return to Ireland and perhaps tip in to Carlingford as well to say hello as president of the United States. And you know what? I wouldn't write that one off. I'd say there's a good chance that he will because he has a great affinity for the area and this country and all his ancestors where they lived here, both 
both on the East Coast and in the West. And of course, what you what you allude to there, Richard, is as well, you know when Americans visit, they love to go to places that have an association with the likes of the President. For sure, and obviously they're going to experience fabulous medieval history, fabulous dining, great places to stay, lots of things to do. I mean, this is just an amazing area with, with so much, not just Carlingford, the Cooley Peninsula, all of Louth. So, yes, we hope that, you know, when it's possible, they'll fly to Dublin. It's a short flight. Uh, they'll come up here an hour. And, and there's, your, there's your destination. And if they want to go over to Ballinar, that's great too. Hmm. Uh, come to Ireland. Yes, for sure. Now, the place there, I'm familiar with it myself, lovely part of the world, but the last year it's been tough on everybody. I know we had a bit of an opening last summer into the autumn, but this current lockdown and no springtime, it's biting hard, I take it, Richard, on everybody? I think everybody is in the same boat. Um, All the businesses have made adaptations. Uh, We're ready to receive visitors as soon as visitors are allowed to to visit us um yes of course it's it's bitten hard i mean every pub shut uh, the the restaurants are doing takeaway services but it's not the same i'm sure for them everybody's trying hard to to keep momentum going um and we will be ready as soon as people can come and visit we're we're ready to receive them Ah, look, hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. We wish you well. Just reminding everybody again, discovercarlingford.com. Check it out and then like or follow on Facebook and Instagram and share and you will be in the hat for those three great prizes. A family break for four, a romantic midweek break or a family day trip to Carlingford. Wish you well. Hope there's good news uh, the coming days from government and beyond that this summer will happen for staycations here in Ireland. And do... Check out Carlingford and Cooley and County Loud and County Mead. We have everything in these counties that will keep you happy, that's for sure. Thank you for joining me, Richard. Yeah, thanks for a million for inviting me. Not Thank at you. all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Richard Lewis there, owner of On Your Bike from Carlingford, and they're doing their best, aren't they, to... Uh, you know, lift things and be prepared, as he says there, when the lockdown is lifted. Somebody else said, it's outside 5K there, Jerry. Carlingford, not this year. Oh, look at that 5K will be lifted. It will. It will be able to travel more as the year goes on. I'm confident we will. I am. I actually believe that that will happen. I do. I do. I do. And you should believe too. Anyway, that's almost our lot on late lunch for this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for your company uh, over the last couple of hours. I really do appreciate Eddie Caffrey's coming next with the driviest cracking music and more besides lined up for you for the next couple of hours. Tomorrow on Late Lunch, Aoife Lynch is with us. She was a victim of grooming. Really sinister. We're going to hear a story on how easily it can happen on the show tomorrow. A big success story in Dundalk Intact Software. Justin Lawless, the CEO, is with us. And Kaka. Are the crows nesting round where you are, in your chimney, in a tree nearby? Yes, we're going to talk carrion on late lunch tomorrow afternoon with Mr Niall Hatch. That's our plans, well, some of our plans for tomorrow. All we need is you. Have a nice evening. Take care of yourselves. I'm away for the uh, day six and counting down Slav Walk. Yes, 40 days and 40 nights. I'm getting ready to go shortly and uh, I'll be telling you more about that over the coming days. But have a nice evening. Take care of yourselves and stay here on LMFM with us. Eddie Caffrey's next. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Let us amaze you with our fantastic used car offers. With over 300 different makes and models, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars to choose from. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. Finance can be arranged to suit all budgets. Call or visit blackstonemotors.ie today to find your next car. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.